Welcome to The Grange Point, where we hang out and talk about the latest news in science technology and how they relate to your everyday life. This podcast is brought to you by the Young Scientists of Australia. We're a youth organisation aged 15 to 25 whose work is to promote science to the youth of Australia. Hidden empires leaving behind ruins, treasure and even changing the environment around them. When we think about lost empires, we don't often consider traces left behind by other creatures including ruins, changing the climate and the world around them, and even leaving behind spoils from their conquest wars against other species. We're going to be focusing on ants and the legacies they leave behind. When you think of ancient empires spanning large swaths of territory, leaving behind relics that archaeologists can study thousands of years after their passing, You think of things like maybe the Aztecs, the Maya, the Romans, or even the pyramids in ancient Egypt. But a group of researchers have been studying a hidden empire lurking beneath the rainforests of Brazil, covering an area the size of Great Britain that dates about 4,000 years ago. What they've found is a whole bunch of collections of very large, around 2 metre tall, 2.5 metre tall, and 9 metre across structures. These mounds span an area the size of Great Britain. They're visible using Google Earth and satellite imagery from space. And beneath these are an entirely interconnected series of tunnels connecting all these disparate mounds to each other. Now, this collection of structures is fascinating. But what's even more exciting about this is that, well, it has been put together by a group of termites. And this empire hasn't faded into the past. It's still going. And most of these large mounds and these structures covering a huge area are actually many thousands of years old. Some all the way up to 4,000 years ago, which puts them, well, in the same category as the pyramids in Egypt. Now, the findings from this study have been published in the journal Current Biology, and is led by two main researchers, Stephen Marden of the University of Salford in the UK, along with Roy Funch of the Universidad Estala de Ferrara de Santiana in Brazil. And working together, they've been studying these termite mounds. And we've known about these termite mounds for many years. They're obviously very obviously visible in the landscape. But trying to put a date and understand just how old these termite mounds are as what's just been done now. And they did so by taking soil samples and analysing the actual age of the structures themselves. Now there is around 200 million of these cone-shaped mounds or pyramids, and they're all about 2.5 metres tall and 9 metres across. What's most fascinating is that these are all formed by a single termite species. They excavate this massive network of mounds and tunnels for several reasons. A, to provide a home, but B, to also actually provide them direct and safe access to the rainforest floor without the chance of getting eaten by predators. They can pop out through some tunnels and find out where they want to be. The mounds are the leftovers of the excavated dirt for this insanely complicated series of tunnels beneath the ground. Now, the mounds themselves actually contain an awful amount of dirt. In terms of amount of soil that's excavated, it's around 10 cubic kilometers. To put that into comparison to another ancient megastructure, that's about 4,000 Great Pyramids of Giza. So if you think about it, it's one of the largest single structures built by anything, let alone a single nest insect species. But they've been working on this for an awful long time. 
by taking soil samples from 11 mounds and from different mounds themselves across the region, they found that the mounds themselves were filled, well, filled with soil, from between 690 to 3,820 years ago, which makes them pretty much as old as some of the oldest still functioning termite mounds in Africa. And that's pretty incredible, because the mounds themselves are the byproduct of the tunnel digging of this termite species. And they've been excavating through the rainforest floor to sort of pop up to become visible. Now, the mounds themselves have been there for thousands of years, but they've been hiding out inside the rainforest. It's only when the rainforest, unfortunately, in Brazil is starting to be cleared for pastures do they become more and more visible to things like satellite imagery. But they've always been there for thousands and thousands of years. But in terms of the structure of all these mounds spread across the map, you see something very, very interesting. The mounds themselves are formed in a regular spatial pattern, which makes sense. They dig some tunnels and they put the dirt somewhere close by. Once they get further away, they start building a new mound. And when they undertook behavioural tests, like took one termite from one place and put it near another mound, there wasn't really much aggression between the mound owners. The, the tunnel diggers, they were like, well, this is our place, but we know who you are roughly. Now, the further away you go, of course, neighbour mounds are less aggressive towards each other than ones from very, very far away. But the tunnels serve a very important purpose that's twofold. One, it provides a safe access to a food source in the forest floor without getting chomped down on by other predators. But the other problem is that it also helps the ants navigate and find food when it can be scarce and rare. And they can travel through these tunnels that they can map out using potentially pheromones that help them navigate this vast tunnel network and find their way to a food source. When it's scarce or dry, um, they can move to another area pretty safely. And this is a technique that's used by other species, like naked mole rats, which live in arid regions as well and construct really extensive tunnel networks to get to food without having to you know, die of heat stroke along the way. Now, when you think about this superstructure and how long it's been there, it sort of changes your perception about some of the archeological relics we've left behind. We're not the only species to leave behind remnants of our presence. Our rise and fall of our empires are categorized by these ancient ruins left behind. But in the case of these termites, in Brazil, it's a still a functioning empire that can be witnessed. Their massive tunnel infrastructure digging project is ongoing. Forget Elon Musk and his boring company, these termites are showing over thousands of years what you can accomplish using simple tunnel digging. Another really interesting aspect of human civilization is that not only do we leave behind remnants of the past, we also change the future. If you look at the way humans have introduced more carbon dioxide to the atmosphere or changed the landscapes, dredged canals, you name it, we can have a pretty substantive impact on our climate. By building a dam, we can either flood or drain an entire region, changing the entire flow of rivers. These all leave lasting marks upon the countryside and upon the planet, which, looking back in the past, we can identify. When farmers have changed the course of a river or built a dam thousands of years ago, we can see the impact of that in the geological record. So humans are very capable of modifying and changing the climate around them. But we're not the only species that can do that. Some research out of Spain has been identifying how Little hard-working ants 
have been working very, very hard to change the climate of the soil around them, particularly in a large paleontological site being investigated. And this work was done by the Complutense University of Madrid, UCM, the National Museum of Natural Sciences, the Institute of Geosciences, and the Doana Biological Station. And they've been studying a paleontological site called the Samosagos, which is in Madrid. The Samosagos hosts a very large colony of ants, all from the same species of Mesobarbaros. Now, these insects have been working for many, many years, decades, thousands of years, and their hard work has actually changed the climate of the soil in that region in a way that can be studied over time using the geological records. Now, the study of past climatic conditions on Earth, called paleoclimate studies, that's based on typically analysing the mineral topology or the proportions of types of minerals found in sediments. By looking at a particular age range of sediments, and because mineral associations change depending on the climate, so let's say if you have a large volcanic event, for example, that'll lead to a change in the soil concentration for that particular era. And you can basically study and analyze things. If you have a wet year, you'll see a different change in composition and so on and so forth. From this study of the geological records, we can build a picture of what the climate looked like millennia ago, hundreds of millions of years ago, and we can study when changes occur. Now, if you want to think about what an ant is doing, for a lot of the time, ants, like termites spoken about before, are digging tunnels for several reasons. A, to expand their nest, but also to give them quick and safe access to food sources. And when they build their nest, they're actually picking grains of soil. And if you're like me, you haven't really thought much about what they're actually doing when they do that process. But the ants themselves are actually selecting specific grains of soil. They then transport those grains of soil out of their tunnel and put it in a mound somewhere. But you think about the type of transport that they're doing is very interesting. And what's key about that is they're actually selecting certain types of grains of soil, ones that are medium sized, ones that they're easy for them to transport. That makes sense for us because, you know, if you're digging a tunnel, you want it to be as simple as possible. But they also select which type of mineral. They prefer quartz over feldspar. It's easier for them to carry and tunnel through. And also, it's easier to hold because it doesn't sort of crumble in your hands, which, again, makes sense for a tunnelling process. But the ants are actually carting out all the quartz out of these tunnels and out of this region. And in this large-scale engineering project, it means that you leave behind and change both the soil composition and the mineral composition as well. Now, what does it matter if the ants change the soil composition in an area? Well, it matters a lot if you're trying to study the climates of the past and trying to use the soil composition as an indicator for what happened millennia ago. If the ants, and which have been there for a very long time, have been changing the soil themselves without any impact from the climate, from a volcano, from rainfall, or from temperature changes, then that means it throws potentially the whole modelling out of the window. Not only that, these ants themselves can also carry away fossils and other remains that you might use to try and date or understand what was happening in that particular period. So to better understand climate, you now have to start including things like ants, which may be factoring into the place where you got your samples. If you're taking core samples from a place that ants are busy tunneling and have been for many thousands of years, then now you have another thing to factor into your modelling. And this is important because having accurate climate models and an accurate understanding of past climates is essential to trying to model what will happen in the future based on our current changes to the climate. So it may seem 
like not a very big deal, but a key understanding of past behavior and climate change is going to be essential for scientists to model climate change in the future. And these little ants can throw a spanner in the works unless you take them into account. But it goes to show another thing that we're not the only creatures that are having profound effects on the earth around us. Ants are doing just the same. It's a good reminder of our place on this planet that we're not the only creatures capable of leaving lasting impacts on our environment. Now, one of the things empires are famous for leaving behind is dramatic treasure troves of equipment, loot, gold, jewelry. All of these things are often left behind and then eventually sometimes make their way into museums, showcasing the plunder or the glory or the equipment used by that particular people or that of their rivals that they have conquered and taken back to their homelands. And humans have done that for thousands of years, but we're not the only ones who undertake that treasure hoarding approach. Now, I don't mean dragons, but in Florida, amongst the many strange things living there, you have to now worry about ants, which not only manage to build impressive tunnels and change the landscape as spoken about earlier, but these ants actually collect the skulls of their enemies and line their tunnels and nests with the skulls of one of the most ferocious type of ants to be found. To put it another way, this is like the small outsider kingdom of, say, the Celts lining their cities and fortifications with the head of Romans, soldiers, the powerful legionnaire armies, which at the time would have been seen as an unstoppable force. But for the Celts, maybe they could try and line up their heads after they've defeated the Romans. And that's pretty much what a certain species of ant are doing, the Formica archibaldi. They decorate their nest with the disembodied parts of other ant species. But in particular, one of the most ferocious ant species, the trapjaw ants, they're known pretty much as not only fierce insect predators, they chomp and eat other ants and they chomp and eat a lot of other insects, but they also can take down a lot of other creatures. So if you are a small regular old ant and you see a trapjaw ant, you normally run for cover because it will and can eat you quite fiercely. So how did Formica Archibaldi end up with heads on strewn body parts scattered around their nests? Well, scientists, when they originally discovered in 1958, thought that perhaps, perhaps the Formica Archibaldi had just inherited a trapjaw ant nest. They just moved in once the trapjaw ants moved out and sort of scavenged the remains and didn't bother tidying up. And that was the prevailing wisdom for around 60 years. But researchers from North Carolina Museum of Natural Sciences and North Carolina State University, led by Adrian Smith, have actually found the truth to be far, far more sinister. The, according to the study and the analysis, the, the ant heads that are found in the Formica Archibaldi nests aren't there by chance. They're more likely there as trophies. And to prove this hypothesis, what they managed to find is how 
these tiny formica archibaldi ants managed to actually take down the ferocious monsters of the trapjaw ants. And how they've done it is quite interesting. They turn what is normally a chemical defense, a spray of formic acid, which is where they get their name, formica archibaldi, from, and they turn it into a finely tuned, deadly weapon, specifically against trapjaw ants. Now, Adrian Smith took high-speed recordings of F. Archibaldi attacks where they use a really targeted and very tight spray of what is normally a defensive weapon, this formic acid spray. But what happens to the trapjaw ants is it immobilizes them, and then it allows the formic Archibaldi to swarm them and defeat them. And what they found using time-lapse video observation is when they put two colonies in conflict with each other is, well, the Formica Archibaldi not only managed to defeat the much more fearsome trapjaw ants, they then take and drag back the freshly killed trapdoor ants into their nest. They're cut up for food and eaten, and the rest are left behind like the heads. And that's just what the Formica Archibaldi do which is incredibly stunning in terms of a David and Goliath battle. But for this attack to be successful, there's one more trick, one more secret weapon that the Formica Archibaldi are using. Now, in order to get and get close to the trapdoor ants without falling victim to them, there's a complex layer of waxes that sort of coat the outer surface of an ant. Um, these are called cuticular hydrocarbons. Now, what's interesting is that the Formica Archibaldi try and match their chemical signature to, to that of the trapjaw ants as a way to try and sneak up on them, so to speak. Which suggests that the Formica Archibaldi, once they got exposed to the presence of these trapjaw ants, had to adapt. Not only was their formic acid defensive spray turned into an offensive weapon, but they also changed their coating to mimic that of a trapjaw ant. Both things together have evolved in the evolutionary arms race between these two species. And the end result of it is you've turned a David and Goliath battle into one where the David's winning all the time. Not only that, David's dragging back the corpse of Goliath to his... It just goes to show that the animal kingdom can have some pretty unusual and lopsided battles that evolve and change over millennia, that involve deception, disguise, as well as interesting weapons. And like humans, these things will continue to evolve and change as the parties involved learn new tactics and tricks. This is a great work done by Adrian Smith from North Carolina Museum of Natural Sciences. It was published in the journal Insectus Social. This has been the Young Scientists of Australia's podcast, LaGrange Point. From mounds and pyramids visible from space to the conquests from their enemies and even changing the soil and climate around them, ants can have a big impact on the environment and a lasting legacy that we can find out. Our ending theme was composed by Audio Head to ysa.org.au for more information about the Young Scientists of Australia.